Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is John Bash. He's a composer and university music department administrator. How's it going, John? Pretty good. How about you? Uh, I I could complain, but I'm going to say I can't <laughs> complain because that's it's Minnesota here. Um, yeah, you could, but you won't. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You if anyone heard the last episode, I, I've done my complaining. I'm good for the year. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> music composition. That's where we're going to start this conversation. All right. You, you have a you have a degree in this. Yes, two of them, in fact. <laughs> Does what you do? Okay, so is your primary job composing music, or is this it is, at this point like um, side job or hobby? Um, yeah. So right now, composition is sort of a occasional side job. Uh, more often, more on the hobby side of things. <laughs> um, but my day job is I'm an undergraduate advisor uh, for the music department at Western Washington University in Bellingham, Washington. It's like one of the northern, northwesternmost points in the continental U.S. So um, you, you got two degrees and they decided you should talk to people who need degrees? <laughs> Basically, yeah. The, the job happened to open up right when I graduated and I was like oh that would be fun and it's in my field and I really like this college and I've gotten to know it well so I'm pretty qualified having having been there for seven years and I got the job so that's what I've been doing for the past couple of years yeah it sounds like uh, you would have graduated oh I suppose you have like a master's yeah exactly so yeah you haven't been out of school for master's. that long yeah nope just a couple of years really all right. So the music composition that you do, whether it's hobby or paid, what kind of stuff do you do you compose? Yeah. Uh, so it's it kind of runs the gamut. Um, this last September, I released like a solo album that was sort of electronic rock, pop, uh, folky music of some kind. Um, <laughs> and then I do so I do that's sort of like when I want to just write stuff for fun, I do that sort of thing. Um, I have written music for one movie um, called The Valley of the Sasquatch, or I guess it actually changed to Hunting Grounds now is the new U.S. title. Um, and so I did that composition for that movie in 2015, no, 2013, I think, or 2013 or 14. But it's it should be coming out next year. It's coming out in January in the UK under its original title, Valley of the Sasquatch. Um, I've done a couple of uh, like really small game jam projects for indie games, music for those. And oh, and then I write like concert music, like sort of contemporary classical music. Um, I think that's about it. <laughs> that's uh, that's a pretty wide range, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with um, the game music, what 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 genre would that music have fallen into? Uh, it mostly ends up being more on the electronic side of things, um, but sometimes incorporating more film scorey kind of stuff. Because um, game game music has almost become its own genre at this point, um, with the legacy of like the whole chip tune thing. Um, <laughs> But then, but then also, like a lot of game composers, um, 
and like especially the triple a game the big really big expensive games end up sort of trying to be really hollywoodish um so it ends up being a pretty wide variety of stuff still i would say you're not old enough this is a random aside you're not old enough to <laughs> care about pretty hate machine by nine inch nails but did you ever hear pretty eight machine <laughs> no uh and i mean I, I i am familiar with the album i i care a little bit about it but i well, wasn't a teenager look, when look it came up, out <laughs> as someone as someone who enjoys some technology and fiddling look up pretty eight machine it's uh, mm. an eight bit complete eight bit rewrite of the pretty hate machine album Nice. <laughs> and totally, totally worth hearing if you've heard the original. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I'm curious about game music, but I don't play games. Uh, mm. I've, <laughs> I will admit that the, uh, the best game commercials I've seen on TV, they have recently had um, always covers of songs that any kid playing the game would never have heard to begin with. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually a friend of mine and I recently saw Rogue One and all the trailers before the movie had like really weird ambient covers of like really old songs. Yeah, that seems to be a trend. <laughs> yeah, uh, the cover of One Way or Another, like Blondie's <laughs> song. I can't remember who did it now, but it's done like super slow and creepy, like yep. ambient music and oh. You don't realize how creepy that song is until someone sings <laughs> yeah. it without like the blondie like pop style. Yeah. Oh. Speaking of which, have you? Uh, this is totally unrelated, but going off of <laughs> I love tangent. unrelated. Do it. Oh, perfect. Uh, so there's this channel on YouTube uh, that takes songs, and if they're in a major key, he puts them in a minor key, and vice versa. So like he's done uh, YMCA in a minor key, which just makes it this really weird, intense song. And then the my one of my favorites is uh, Every Breath You Take by The Police in a which minor is a key. Super creepy song, even to begin. <laughs> yeah, with. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah all these stalker songs that no one really ever thought of as stalker songs. <laughs> I think he might have had somewhat of an awareness that. <laughs> It was a stalker song, but you everyone interpreted it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I think so. Maybe I might be misremembering. He's a smart guy. He must have known. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, all, all the, I think everyone just sort of assumed, oh, it's this sweet love song. Right. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So anyway, I, the film scoring is what I'm actually interested in. So you've only had one uh, like released film that you've scored or are there others? Yeah, one one feature film, and then I've done quite a few. I wouldn't I won't say quite a few, but a good number of like short films. Um, we did like a, a Spider Man Batman in Bellingham, a uh, little mini series, a couple of other sh uh, short comedy films, a couple of horror uh, scores. Horrors are horror scores are actually I think my favorite thing to do, even though I guess that's the only full length I've done um, but it, it's a lot of fun because you just get to make a lot more noise yeah. and be a lot more weird which is just a lot more enjoyable do, do you have <laughs> well, any, sometimes I guess. so like horror soundtracks tend to be pretty stereotypical do you have yeah. any special <laughs> approach to like do you try to do something different with it um 
I don't know. That's a good question. I guess I, I always try to use just interesting sounds um, like on on the Valley of the Sasquatch score. I just sort of set my guitar on the ground and tuned it way down and then rolled on it with drumsticks. And that enters the score at various points in it. Um, and he also wanted it to like be sort of like Jaws, the director did, in that it has like a some recurring themes um so that ended up happening quite a bit which was fun to do the that and they primarily like horror score which is usually all about like big surprise scary moments um but i i think the one of the more interesting challenges to me is just figuring out when to not put music somewhere or when to not overdo <laughs> the music um the count basie approach <laughs> yeah wow um i feel that i should send you this recording when it's uh edited on my end and you should edit in background music just <laughs> to give people like we could describe this all we wanted to mm. but actually having a tuned down guitar being hit with drumsticks or rolled with drumsticks underneath it like right yeah. here while I'm talking, that would be awesome. <laughs> All right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now I'll add a big stinger at the end when yeah. we finish this conversation. We'll come up with something <laughs> scary to say so you can add like uh, uh, horror climax sounds to it. We'll talk yeah. about Donald Trump will be president in a month. Yeah, so your your music composition, I, I, I really actually am really curious to hear a lot of this stuff because you have such a a blend of electronic classical folk, you know, like acoustic and mm. kind of rock the things you've described. I would love to hear how this all comes together in production pieces. Um, yeah. So as far as music theory goes, mm. so uh, what happened to me was I started composing. I got like a GM MIDI synth and, uh, I think I had a classical guitar I got at a garage sale and I just started writing stuff with absolutely no concept. Well, okay, that's a lie. I, I played in orchestra and I I started cello when I was like six, but uh, but I didn't know music theory at all. So when I started composing and I was doing mostly kind of industrial stuff at the time, <laughs> um, and I, I was experimenting and doing weird like seven, five time signatures and... <laughs> uh, stuff that really shouldn't exist technically um and then i started taking music theory that uh, with classes offered at my high school and it it broke me like all of a sudden i couldn't i couldn't um compose the way i had been and i still like i would listen to the stuff i did before i started music theory and be like hey there was actually something cool there it just needed it needed to know the rules before it just blindly broke them and then that got better over time. I didn't pursue music theory for very long, but I did gain enough of a groundwork so that I could more intelligently break the rules. How mm -hmm. did anything similar to that happen to you as you as you pursued all the way through a master's in <laughs> in music and in composition? Yeah, so I actually started um similarly in that my when I was uh 11 years old, I think 
my parents gifted me their old uh, classical guitar and I had no idea how to tune it or anything. And so I just <laughs> like tuned it by ear and I had no idea if it was right and just started playing around with it. And they they could tell I was really interested in it. And so like over the next couple of years, they gave me like some books and music related gifts and eventually an electric guitar and another acoustic guitar and like an amp and stuff. And I started playing in bands with friends. And at first we had no clue what we were doing. Um, but through like, I, I should mention, I was also in like a uh, middle school band. I was a percussionist in there. Um, so there I sort of learned to read music, but as a percussionist, you know, like you, none of the percussionists learn to read music as well <laughs> as like the, the flautists and whatnot do. Sure. Um, because they just, mostly read rhythms but dang we were really good at rhythms just <laughs> not the the actual notes um but so i sort of started gleaning music theory along the way and then i was in jazz band and that was really good for my music theory um i started playing guitar in that um let's see i can't remember where i was going with this um oh yeah so <laughs> music theory um so it, I, when I got to college, I was actually um, not accepted into the music program at first. I just was completely not ready in terms of my skills as a percussionist um, to be able to enter the music program, even though my theory knowledge was really solid. I just couldn't really play at the level I needed to. So I took a year and took lessons and got better and then got into the program. Um, but so my, my music theory background comes from a similar area of starting more in the pop realm and rock and whatnot, and then introducing more classical stuff. Um, and for, for a really long time, actually, it was really hard to reconcile the two sort of musical arenas because in the classical world, they teach you about like these are the scales and this is correct and this is good voice leading and this is bad voice leading and you should never have parallel fifths which um, <laughs> I remember that from my first music theory class and but then the weird thing is you know like 90% of pop music is power chords and that's all <laughs> parallel fifths and so I was like what what is happening here um, and so like sort of somewhat recently realized just how it can all just fit together sort of in this weird way. And there's like different sort of subsystems within the big system of like sound itself and the overtone series, which is a sort of technical um, concept about how we like make the scales that most of our music is based on. Um, and everything is sort of like a compromise and just sort of what we've gotten used to. And so these different subcultures of music have developed their own systems and norms, but there aren't any actual rules when it comes down to the actual sound you're making. It's just what we're used to culturally and socially and whatnot. Um, and so really it's just sort of who you're writing for and what they're used to hearing and, what you can do within that system of or or systems in some cases so you know like in a horror movie you might have these just 
gross clusters of notes um but put that in a romantic comedy and it's gonna make the romantic comedy into a horror movie um (laughs) i find most rom-coms pretty horrific yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um yeah (laughs) i yeah i i i know exactly what you're talking about but from a much more limited scope um it did it did make me appreciate music differently to be able to i guess uh see where they broke the rules i guess i'm a big fan of breaking the rules <laughs> but i do feel like you have to know the rules first yeah and then even like some of the eventually those various breakings of the rules become a new set of rules unto themselves um because people say ooh that way he's breaking that rule is cool and then that becomes its own little subsystem of rule breaking (laughs) sure well and then like entire genres of like pop music are you know built around uh kind of parallel rules that becomes like a rule if you play it this way you fall into this genre Mm -hmm. yeah exactly you write this way do you ever listen to metal oh yeah yeah do do you ever get into technical like technical death and technical thrash uh a little bit not not too much sure um i i I don't either i don't (laughs) i I don't get along well with people who do especially if it's exclusively technical metal but it is kind of fascinating from music theory perspectives because most of these bands are well trained in theory and they are very intricately breaking all kinds of rules and intricately composing things that if you were to play it on other instruments with a lot less volume and distortion, <laughs> it would it, it would be a far uh, far more complex piece than most classical. It's right. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah, and the the interesting thing about metal is it's very rhythmically centered. And I mean, have you are you familiar with Meshuga? Yep. Okay. And they so they'll like write riffs that are in like eleven sixteen basically, mm-hmm. and then like when it comes around and it's done so many bars of eleven sixteen, they'll throw in a bar of seven sixteen to like make it fit in a four bar four four pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so and but it it's also like has something in common with like classical minimalism. So like a composer like Steve Reich just does like very repetitive patterns i mean but even then there those are mostly in like three four so so yeah they really are doing some really complicated stuff by even like classical standards or what have you and it seems to me like most of the people who would recognize what they're doing would not be metal fans <laughs> yeah it's, some it's of them a, it's a specific specific niche of music lovers yeah, and I mean, there's actually a lot of like contemporary composers that are um, really into all sorts of, I don't know, different kinds of music. Like I have a friend who's like just the biggest metalhead in the world that I know, um, and he had like really long hair for a long time and a big beard, and our band director called him Mountain Man, <laughs> um, and he he just finished his master's in music composition at uh, Florida State, I think. Um, 
so yeah, there's definitely a lot of crossover these days between those worlds, but they it's definitely a niche thing. Yeah. The the musician I hang out with who I consider the most talented person that I know in real life, um, he, in his younger days, completely untrained, played in a band down on the Strand uh, and like out in California, and he opened for like Metallica, crew like all of these he grew up you know being a rock and roll guy and now he like he eventually went to school and and got like he knew it all already just from a (laughs) lifetime of playing music and being an amazing guitarist he knew it all but now he could make it theoretical at the same time and he's become an amazing like flamenco guitarist and composer and he writes scores you know, mostly with synths, but, um, but yeah, it's kind of amazing to see what, well, and so many of the metal lead guitarists were like Juilliard trained. Right. And I think at some point they got bored. They're like, we need to make this louder and faster. (laughs) Well, I mean, even if they're not Juilliard trained, I think a lot of them are just so skilled and in terms in like practical terms and have just a really solid ear that they just have, sort of internalize the theory even if they don't know it right in terms of like being able to explain it they've it's become a part of their playing essentially i i think i think in uh in the layperson's world we just call that talent (laughs) yeah i I don't know if i really believe in talent i don't know either (laughs) that's actually that's a that's actually a would be a, a fun conversation but yeah i'm gonna push it another way (laughs) <laughs> so as part of this uh i i saw a note you have a you have a blog post on on your blogs is it skeptic skeptical spirit yeah uh it was about fiddling mm-hmm. and you mentioned lily pond which i mm-hmm. feel is a decent um segue into talking about fiddling uh mm-hmm. benefits and pros and cons of fiddling uh, tell 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 me and everyone what Lily Pond is. So Lily Pond is essentially like a programming language um, for music notation. Um, you you write essentially code. Um, it's, it's it's sort of somewhere between like a markup language and something like C. Um, so you write code and then when you compile it, it spits out a PDF of the music notation um, that someone could read. And it's become fairly popular um, among professional uh, music engravers because they can make it look exactly how they want it to um, without trying to deal with programs like Sibelius and Finale, which most composers and whatnot use. Um, and trying to like adjust the tiniest um, markings between like slurs and the lengths of certain notes and the amount of the amount of space that certain symbols take up and whatnot, they can just type the code and it sort of optimizes it automatically, and then they can make tweaks as they go to uh, make it fit what they're looking for. Um, but it's it's primarily used for what they call engraving, which is the act of like producing the score that you can hand to a performer and they can play off of. Yeah. I, I, I will admit as we start this conversation that I have forgotten how to read sheet music. <laughs> I, I used to like I, on piano, I could read 
treble and bass. And then I played viola for many years, learned mm. C clef. And somehow I can only read guitar tab these days. Yeah, it's a I, lot. I can do it, but it's like reading um, reading a foreign language out of a book. Right. <laughs> like when you have to translate every word you say, so I have to like count steps. It's it's not cool. But anyway, um, so Lily Pond, really, it is a programming language. Does it? Well, okay. So it looks a lot like writing in LaTeX or right. Like you said, a markup language. Does it offer any any uh, capabilities for kind of hacking what you're doing? Uh, I haven't gotten into it too deeply. I've, this is sort of one of the many things that I've delved briefly into and came up with a lot of ideas about, but my plate is already kind of full, so I haven't really gotten into it, even though I have a lot of ideas of potential cool things. Um, I know you can you can set variables um, so that you can reuse little bits of stuff and like you can transpose stuff up and down. So I can imagine that there could be really interesting um, compositional possibilities, um, composing in a very different way than you might if you were just writing it on paper or in a notation program tr in the more traditional way. Um, but so, something yeah, so it's I, almost like math jacks is for equations. Yeah, exactly. But for scores. Huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I understand now why I have never played with it. Uh, <laughs> Because I wouldn't even know what the output meant at this point. I should learn again. Uh, what What are some of the other kind of more fiddly applications that you use in your uh, your day to day composition? Um. Well, Reaper is a program where where I haven't so much really gotten into the deep like scripting possibilities. But uh, Reaper is a an audio recording program. Um, sort of like Pro Tools and Logic and whatnot, if you're familiar with those. Yeah. Um, but it it's very it comes very bare bones. It doesn't come with any like fancy instruments. Um, so you but you can add your own just like you could with any other program. But it's it's very you can make it work exactly how you want to. So you can customize basically all of the key bindings for anything. Um, you can write scripts for it in Python or Lua or their own programming language called like Jesus Sonic, I think it's called. Um, you can look, write plugins in those languages. Um, someone actually wrote a package manager for it um, so that they sort of collect themes for it and plugins and scripts and whatnot that do various things and show various things so that you can make your audio production workflow more quick and awesome essentially um, is there is there a reason you would use reaper over something like uh logic i find it that it's just ends up being more fast once you get it to work a certain way you know logic sort of most logic and most uh daws as they're called um force you to work in a very particular way. So even though Logic comes with a lot of fancy instruments, um, there's actually a lot better fancy instruments out there anyways. Um, and so you can really set up Reaper. It'll work exactly how you would want it to. Um, so tailor it to your specific needs and wants. And 
if you end up doing like a particular action so many times, uh, you can make that a lot quicker. Like, so one thing I did was for a while I was editing, uh, a podcast for a friend and I got really quick at taking out like blips that are not blips, like long silences. Ah, dead air. Um, and so, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would, I wrote a, a macro that combined like eight different actions that I could just do with one press of a button where I could just like set the beginning and end and delete it and then compress that whole time. A ripple delete. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I could really use something. I should look into this. Yeah. And, and the, the it's, it's actually fairly cheap as far as these sort of uh, programs go. Um, and the, even the commercial light, the, the, Sorry, the discounted license is sixty dollars, um, and then the commercial license is two twenty-five. But that's only if you're making twenty thousand dollars or more with that program. In which uh, case, yeah. you'd have the two hundred twenty-five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, so I could pick it up for sixty bucks. I, yeah. I, I'm definitely curious. I, I, I only have Logic these days. Mm. I grew up on older Sony apps on pc i don't even remember the names of most of them but um sonar and who was the original company before sony acquired that uh was it cakewalk cakewalk was an app Uh, who made cakewalk though i thought it was like sonar cakewalk for a while and then they just shortened it to sonar i don't know anyway didn't adobe eventually acquire that stuff and turn it into whatever their Ah, who knows? Anyway, yeah. <laughs> like when I got a Mac, I I just ended up getting Logic, and I've kind of stuck with it. And I do I find it cumbersome. Yeah, there's there's little things about it that are a little bit funky that you can't fix. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling that Apple will eventually uh, abandon Logic. Yeah, I have that fear as well, um, but. I, I have a lot of fears about Apple these days, actually. <laughs> oh, at least about um, continuing the things that they have a loyal fan base for and then just deciding they're not profitable anymore. Yeah. You know, like Mac Pros and... Uh, Most of the Mac Pro-related and... stuff. <laughs> yeah. All the professional applications that don't get updated very frequently. Yeah. Or the, the deletion of their... Or deletion. How they just completely got rid of their position related to automation... Uh-huh. Yeah. It it was a they deleted uh the entire <laughs> post. Um that that's sad. Uh Sal, there's a um it's not public information yet. It will be um an event for Sal that I'm excited about but can't make it to. Anyway, um I just lost my train of thought cuz I th- was thinking about automation. Uh, yeah, all the thing. And they just got out of the router market. Like I've been using airports forever because yeah, they actually... are so easy to set up. If your whole house is Mac and Apple TVs and iOS devices. <sighs> yeah. Sad. I just got one a couple of years ago and it's been awesome since I've had it. Yeah. So yeah. I, did you get one of the tower ones with the AC? Yep. Yeah. And, and the hard drive inside and whatnot. Oh, you got the time machine version, time capsule yeah. version. Yeah, I had an older time capsule. It never, uh, never impressed me. Plus, it was only five hundred gigabytes, which after a while just wasn't going to cut it. <laughs> <sighs> uh, 
Why would you have a shared time machine that everyone in your house can back up to and then only have 500 gigabytes? Was that my mistake? Did I buy a small one? I don't remember. Yeah, that seems silly. Yeah. Anyway, where were we? What's happening? Uh, I was <laughs> I was talking about uh, tools that are fun to fiddle with and whatnot. Right. Um, so, so Reaper is one of those. Um, and then the other sort of big one for me lately has been uh, Emacs and Org Mode. Which is, oh my gosh, whole so can of this worms. This is related but... to fiddling more than music, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, people ask me about org mode all the time, and I've I've seen it. I've never used it. I have no knowledge. Tell me why it matters. Uh, it's so it it is incredibly uh, intimidating at first because the there's there's no like uh, uh, GUI that. Uh, or GUI, I guess, as some people call it, but that always sounded silly to me. Um, <laughs> that there's it is that what you the can kids like say yes. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no like buttons that you can hit to do functions. It's all basically keyboard, and so you basically have to have like a cheat sheet in front of you when you're learning how to use it. Um, and so, but it's it it allows you to do a lot of stuff in terms of like notes and to do lists. Um, and also, and calendaring, um, and it's all in like this super nerdy way where at first you're like, this is way too much trouble than it's worth. But if you can look at it in just the right way, you'll notice, oh, if I can make this work, put up the work up front, then eventually it will make things really fast and cool. Um, which is sort of the point where I'm at, but also I'm still just spending a lot of time fiddling with it. Um, and there's this very great XKCD comic uh, about along these lines in terms of like the amount of time you put into something and when that uh, ah, time the curve. It sh- yeah, yeah. It shows the curve where where it would actually pay off, and then makes it obvious that fiddling can be very counterproductive. I recall that <laughs> people send it to me regularly because I uh, my 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 career as it stands now is kind of built on fiddling. Mm. Um, your post actually struck a chord with me because there are serious benefits. You learn so much by just trying everything and exploring everything and hacking everything. Uh, Mm -hmm. Ultimately, you end up spending like six hours fiddling and researching for every like 15 minutes that you actually gain, which is why I started blogging everything I figured out because (laughs) then I could at least... I could share it and then eventually make money on my incessant fiddling. Um, yeah. So with org mode, if you had to compare it to, I assume you fiddled with many productivity applications. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you had to ca- compare it to a GUI app, would you say it's it's cool enough to be worth giving up the convenience of a GUI? Um, I would say if you're inclined towards fiddling with stuff, uh, it's worth looking into at least. Um, I would say there's so org mode is a a like sort of plugin part of Emacs, which is itself just a text editor. Um, and there's a really good distribution or like set of configuration files for Emacs called SpaceMax that basically um, whenever you press certain keys, it'll like pop up a list of um, 
all of the potential keyboard shortcuts that come after that key, um, which makes it a lot easier to learn that stuff. So then you only have to learn a few keys and then you can just look at what you can do with that. Yeah. Is there anything like that for Vim? Uh, not that I know of. I've gotten um, pretty but, good at Vim, but that would be handy all the time. Yeah. The one cool thing about Emacs, though, is it has what's called evil mode, which comes by default with Space, uh, Space Max, um, which gives you most of the Vim key bindings. Um, so you can basically treat it like you would Vim in most ways. Is um, evil an initialism or acronym for something? Yeah, it's like extensible Vim environment language. I don't know. Something along those lines. (laughs) Interesting. Uh, Okay. So you you probably won't switch me over to Emacs today. Uh, (laughs) Have you seen To Do Text? Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's actually listed in your fiddling post. Um, (laughs) Is that similar as far as syntax Uh... or usability in general? somewhat it's it's definitely like a lot more there's a lot more options than to do dot text um it's a lot more um fiddly (laughs) yeah it's much less minimalist it's very very it's it looks it uh, um because it's plain text it can give off the illusion that it's also minimalist but it's it's really not. <laughs> yeah, I'm picking that up. I, I like task, task paper a lot. Yeah. I, I do most of my day-to-day task management in OmniFocus. Um, although, like you, I'm constantly trying <laughs> every possible task manager just to see what's out there. But, um, yeah. but task paper, even when I'm not using the task paper app, I like the task paper format because it truly is minimalist. Yeah, there's not a lot of um, syntax requirements to it, and right. I do like that within the task paper app, everything's scriptable, and you can get mm-hmm. all the data you need from a line to handle things like sorting and prioritization, um, or anything you want to add to it, uh, extensible. And I also use command line tools a lot. I've written a lot of command line tools for manipulating task paper files. Um, I I like, I've looked at to-do text. I've never gotten into org mode, but um, I like the just bare simplicity of a task paper format that can work anywhere. And as a file, it's completely readable by anybody. Yeah. Org mode, I would say, is is almost at that point, but it's just a little too, it has a little too many bells and whistles. Like you, you could open it as a plain text file, but then you would see like weird properties uh, things that you didn't know what they were for and it, it really requires like Emacs to make the most of it um, which that's the one downside of it I would say but it's it's like somewhere between in terms of usability like or, or I guess more in terms of like what you can do with it and its features somewhere between like task paper and um, OmniFocus with it's some of its syntax is very similar to Markdown as well I could live with that <laughs> so, uh, in general, uh, taking into account the XKCD cartoon, um, would you say that fiddling benefits you or is a, a bad habit? Uh, it depends on the day, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I would give that same answer. <laughs> like I, I think I've definitely learned a lot in my fiddling, and it's I'm very grateful for uh, a good amount of the time that I've spent fiddling. But like recently, I I was playing around with a tool called Ledger. Are you familiar with that? No. It's it's like a an accounting tool, a command line accounting tool. Um, and it uses plain text files. And so you, you make a ledger of like purchases and expenses, and then you use, uh, the ledger tool to like make reports based on that. Um, and I spent a lot of time fiddling with that. And ultimately I don't think I'm going to use it. (laughs) Um, but I did learn a good bit about accounting. Uh, so there's that, <laughs> which I mean, a lot of people were like, oh, great. You learned about accounting. But I, I don't know. I just I really like learning, um, even if it's not an area that I'm going to make a career in or anything. Uh, it's just always fascinating to me to learn new stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at Ledger right now. It seems way harder than using. I use Banktivity, formerly mm. iBank. Um, that has been a very complete solution for me and the idea of entering expenses from the command line (laughs) i mean banktivity automatically imports all my bank transactions from all my accounts right and yeah just categorize them and see pie charts Mm -hmm. i don't have to type in ledger minus f your file dot dat register expenses well, you can set an environment variable for uh, <laughs> yeah. the ledger file, so, and and it can do uh, includes, so you can have like a different file for every. Anyways, okay. Yeah, Never mind. Dude, that that's beyond fiddly to me. That's <laughs> yeah. Hey, do you do you ever see the the uh, Ruby gem I wrote called uh, doing? Uh, I I remember seeing it. I don't remember what it was. It's basically I designed it originally as this way to. Just write down what I was doing so that if I needed to take off from my desk, I could go back and see what I was up to. And Mm. it turned into this whole thing that can do like time tracking and you can log in and out of jobs and mark jobs complete, add notes to jobs. Um, Like when I say job, I mean whatever project you're on at the time, you can categorize tasks under like playtime or work or whatever. You can create your own categories. Um, and it all saves and uses a task paper format file. Nice. And yeah, it got it got intense. And actually, the the edge version of it that's up on GitHub that you can install with the uh, I forget the Ruby gems command for the bleeding edge builds, but it's out there. It's on it's on Ruby gems. Uh, it got so so many new features that I had trouble documenting them and never bothered to write up like a post about all the new features <sighs> that that was fiddling to an extreme that <laughs> that sucked away hours of my life i would say days ultimately uh not in in small chunks it would have added up to days of fiddling but yeah and it's one of those things that y- anyone who wants to use it would also have to spend time fiddling because it's a (laughs) command line application. And uh, yeah, see, I feel like fiddling can be very detrimental to me. Yeah. I like exploring apps and I actually, I I do consulting people who want to know, you know, I just started a new business. Here's what we do. Here's what we need 
to track or need to accomplish what's the best way to do it i have the answer because i fiddled with everything Mm. even in genres that i don't work in (laughs) because if an app looks intriguing or well done i want to try it um so i have a huge library of apps i have a, a huge internal database of information on what apps are better or worse and why and that benefits me but when it comes to like writing my own scripts and then getting obsessed with uh fiddling them to a point where they no longer do what i originally needed to do that's detrimental i lose a lot of time and potential money doing that and then i give them away for free <laughs> yeah i i i think i'm i'm definitely at a point where uh <laughs> some of my time spent fiddling is not time well spent <laughs> but uh it's but Sometimes I just I need like I mentioned this in the blog post. I think sometimes just sort of letting myself go down the rabbit hole um, instead of t- trying to fight it. Like sometimes I I have uh, re- somewhat recently a year ago diagnosed with uh, ADHD in inattentive type, um, and some days I just can't bring myself to actually get things done and I just want like all I can do really is fiddle and I think on those days um I need to just let myself do it sometimes so yeah, yeah it has stuff to I I have the, I came to the same conclusion even after I started being treated for ADHD there were just days that I had to just let the fiddling happen and hope that it would be one of those beneficial fiddling sessions <laughs> But yeah, I, I, if I tried to move away from that on those days, my brain just would not focus on what actually was going to be productive. So I learned to give it some leeway and it actually, that that's continued to be a good philosophy, even as I've gotten more and more control over my own ADHD inattentive, by the way, that's, yeah, I'm not hyperactive. Yeah. Me neither. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't get the inattentive uh, diagnosis until I'd already been treated for ADHD for a decade. <sighs> Time so they, flies. Did, hmm. they just kind of assumed that you were hyperactive along with it. Yeah, um, I think the initial diagnosis came from a like medical doctor who really just saw the symptoms and decided to start treating it. And then everyone else after that just accepted the diagnosis. And then I finally, I had that whole year of uh, having my meds taken away and everything went to hell for me. And uh, and then when I finally did get back into the system and get tested, they changed the diagnosis to inattentive. And that made a lot more sense to me. Mm -hmm. And the treatment was slightly different, but it also helped me uh, get into things like meditation that have been surprisingly beneficial for as resistant as I was to them for so many years. Do you do that at all? Yeah. Do what? Sorry. Meditation. Oh, meditation. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, sorry, spaced out for a second. Sorry, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> uh, yeah. Exa- um, yes. Actually, I was. I was gonna say that um, having not been diagnosed my entire life um, until I was twenty-five um, really gave me the tools to deal with it without, even though it, it didn't want do 100% do its job. 
Um, I was able to find ways to help lessen the effects of uh, the ADHD um, and meditation was definitely one of those things that yeah I never developed those skills I just assumed I was somehow weaker than everyone else so I just couldn't do things like homework yeah yeah I had I also had a hard time with homework um, which is why like I was able to usually scrape buys with with uh, A's and B's because I would do really well on tests. Yeah, and, my story too. Uh, <laughs> occasionally there was some uh, turn or like they just had like an honor system and I took advantage of that a few times and got caught a couple times. Um, but, but yeah, mostly just doing well on tests. And I think that's why in college I did a lot better because it was mostly based on tests rather than on homework. And right. when there was homework, it was interesting and not just like read well, the book and because fill out you got to pick your topics. Yeah. Yeah. That too. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I am also an addict, which made me very good at manipulation at a very early age. So when I couldn't get by on just intuitively passing tests through some kind of weird osmosis of information. <laughs> um, I could usually BS my way into a good grade and, uh, that, that served me well, uh, in that regard anyway. So yeah, I, I got through, but so what kind of meditation do you practice? Um, primarily mindfulness based. Yeah. Um, Right now I'm using an app called 10% Happier um, based on the, it's uh, sort of facilitated by Dan Harris, who has a podcast of the same name and wrote a book of the same name. Um, And they're all really great. Um, The subtitle of it is like meditation for fidgety skeptics. So it really, it's like perfect for me because that defines me as a person. Um, But yeah, it's really good. Nice. Um, I'm writing this down. What was the tagline for it? Uh, meditation for fidgety skeptics. Nice. I, I can relate to the title. That is an excellent marketing title. Mm -hmm. I feel like the target audience would all be like, oh yeah, that's totally me. (laughs) So as a skeptic, did you resist meditation? For a long time? Yeah. Um, the, the, I think it was, um, uh, Andy Pudicombe from uh, uh, oh shoot, what's it called? He has an he has an app too, um, Headspace. He had, yeah. he did a TED he did a TED talk, and that was what convinced me to try it. I think um, Headspace and then was a, just mentioned on a recent Systematic. I I actually downloaded it and got a trial account. Haven't used it yet. Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, I ended up finding that his he does sort of his own uh, method of it's Vipassana based and mindfulness based. um, But he sort of adds his own little things and it was a little bit too complicated for me and I wasn't getting a lot out of it after a certain point, but I used it for like two or three years really consistently. Um, And yeah, I think I would recommend it to people and to try it out at least. And then also try out 10% happier. Yeah, definitely. And they both have like trials where you can do seven or 10 days um, free. And so, then are they both, uh, is 10% happier subscription as well? 
Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, yeah, and and he he has conversations with, um, I mean, some people might call them like gurus of meditation, but they're definitely not like the woo-woo kind <laughs> of gurus. <laughs> not there. the woo-woo guru? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and there's a lot of really interesting conversations that happen there. And, and aside from just sort of learning mindfulness practice, it's, it's, I've, I've also sort of gotten into like Buddhist ethics and philosophy and whatnot. And I don't know if I would call myself a Buddhist at this point, but yeah, there's a don't. lot of <laughs> people, people, uh, you're held to a higher standard then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's it, a lot it of changes discussion. people's expectations. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of discussion about like um, among like the, I listen to some podcasts like the, uh, secular Buddhist podcast and some that have similar names and they occasionally will talk about like that label of calling yourself Buddhist. Um, yeah, I'm not really convinced either way, but I definitely don't <laughs> introduce people. I don't introduce myself as a Buddhist, so <laughs> yeah. not going to anytime soon. All right. So let's take a quick sponsor break. This episode of systematic is sponsored by PDF pen and the PDF pen family of apps from smile. Edit PDFs like a pro with the PDF Pen family. PDF Pen for Mac OS, PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone, and PDF Pen Scan Plus. PDF Pen for Mac OS is the ultimate PDF editing tool, your Swiss army knife of PDFs. And as a side note, uh, for MacBook Pro users, PDF Pen 8.3 adds touch bar support. PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone empowers PDF editing on your mobile device and syncs with PDF Pen for Mac OS. Use them together to break the scan, print, sign, and fax cycle. Do it all paperless style. Add text and graphics, make corrections, and much more. PDF Pen Scan Plus adds scanning and OCR to your mobile toolkit. OCR went away from your desk and scanner and scan receipts with ease. Check the show notes for links to information on adding page numbers to PDFs and redacting your sensitive info. And support Systematic and Smile by visiting smilesoftware.com systematic for details on the entire PDF Pen family. Thanks again to Smile and PDF Pen for sponsoring Systematic. All right, so how much time do you have? Uh, as much. I've got essentially infinite. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, I shouldn't say that, but. We are almost to an hour, and we totally haven't started the top picks yet, so I just wanted to check. If you're ready... We'll do the top picks. Oh, yeah. I'm ready. All right. Let's do it. So one at a time, what's your first pick? Uh, um, I'm going to go with a game called Bring Your Own Book. Uh, it's it's a, I guess you could call it a card game. Um, so it's sort of along the lines of Cards Against Humanity and Apples to Apples. Um, all of the cards just have like a... Um, a description of something. Um, so one might be like the moment the serial killer is revealed. And so then everyone, ha it's like it played with like three to six people or something like that. Everyone has a book and you have to search through your book and find a, a string of text that best fits the card that's played. And then one person picks it like which one they think is the best along the yeah. same lines as apples to apples and whatnot. And then is it, does the, uh, what do they call it in cards against me? The, uh, person who deals is, uh, they just call it the picker in this one, I think. <laughs> uh, 
Czar. It's the czar uh, in Cards Against yeah. Humanity. So how is, how are the answers judged? Is it on comedy or uh, how much it makes sense? I, I, it can vary person to person. If someone is more into like the really silly stuff, they might pick what's funniest. If so someone's it's just like absolutely subjective. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Uh, Cards yeah. Against Humanity has become one of my favorite group games. And I'm <laughs> noting that Bring Your Own Book, much like Cards Against Humanity, also has a free print-and-play version. Ah, I did not know. You can just print your own cards out. And I believe they're coming out with an iOS version. Oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah, there there are a few uh, Cards Against Humanity kind of knockoffs on the App Store for Apple TV and iOS. <laughs> um, evil, evil Minds and... I don't remember. I haven't tried many of them. I I have the big black box with like eight extension packs for Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> nice. I love it. And I also love literature. So this sounds like I wonder if you could combine the two. I bet I bet you could use them like, all together or just use like the, the Cards Against Humanity cards. And like the I can't remember if it's the black or white ones, but whatever ones describe something. The, and then oh, use the, the black book ones. For the yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah, that would be fun. Huh. All right. Well, that's a a pick I've never heard before. I'm intrigued. All right. (laughs) So my first pick is going... I'm going to pick iMessage apps in general. I am am loving the new version of iMessages. iMessage? iMessages? Yeah. Like, so, like, basically, the SMS and, and chat app on the iPhone... Um, uh, it's an amazing app to begin with. And this latest version added things like sending messages with confetti and, and bounce effects. And then a whole app store that's only for within messages and really is only great for people who also use an iPhone. But given that just about everyone I talk to has an iPhone, um, things like, uh, the Shazam app. So you can just quickly like share music that you're listening to now with someone else that you're talking to. Um, the Drafts app, uh, which uses Drafts for iOS, the note-taking app uh, to quickly let you like pick from even like uh, pre-composed responses if you want. And uh, like the Yelp app to quickly send someone a, the restaurant you want to go to and let them see the reviews and give them directions and all of that. This stuff is great. This is a next generation of communication. Hmm. I I haven't uh, delved into it too much. I guess I just don't text many people except my wife. And so the only thing I've delved into is like a set of pizza stickers. Um, That's about it. (laughs) Hey, stickers, stickers, the grammar Nazi sticker pack and... um, I'm trying to think there I actually have a dozen sticker apps in messages <laughs> just to because people say hey where, how'd you do that and I'll give them the sticker pack or I'll show it to them and then I will get um bored with that because everyone else is doing it so I'll go <laughs> find new stickers to surprise people with I'm enjoying the plethora of available expressions nice all right so what's your second pick Oh, oh, this is going to be difficult. Um, I'll go with uh, Harvard CS50. So 
Harvard is one of those schools where a lot of their classes, you can basically take them online. They post their lectures online and their assignments. Um, and I decided I, I got there through, I think it's called open source society university. Um, like a computer, like build your own computer science degree kind of thing through free courses. Um, and CS 50 from Harvard is the first one. And it's, the lectures are really well done. He he moves very fast, which I like a lot um, because I just videos with slow speaking and slow explanations drive me insane. Um, yeah. And so, <laughs> welcome the, to ADHD and attentive, huh? <laughs> yeah. And so even I I, I watch it on, at like one point five speed, and so it seems like he talks even quicker, but it's. Oh, so man. Those are really <laughs> they should have every class should have a 1.5 speed. <laughs> yeah. So I, I wish like real life lectures had it, too. But, you know, I could see I could see someone like me sitting in class and recording the lecture and then just kind of Sleeping. spacing out until later <laughs> and then playing playing it back at 2x. Yeah. Um, OK, so wait. So CS50 is free. Yeah. It's, well, it's. You have to do it through like edX.org or yeah. I think I think that was the first result I found was edX and I think they oh add a verified certificate for ninety dollars. Right. So is so that like can, so you can put it on your continuing education? Right. So you can actually say, Yep, I am verified to have taken the course. Otherwise the I mean, I, I'm not gonna do that because I'm just interested in learning about it at this point. Um, but it, it's mostly, um, C language oriented, um, which has, I, I have had no experience with, but you know, I've done like a little bit of JavaScript and other C like languages. So the syntax is pretty familiar, but it's, it's been really fun, uh, just sort of getting to know the inner workings of like memory stacks and all that crazy stuff. Yeah, I I didn't get into understanding memory for the first ten years I programmed because you know <laughs> self taught I didn't even mean to be a programmer, right? Um, but I wish I had earlier, and I feel that a lot of people who teach themselves don't get exposed to that kind of information, which so it's great to know there are free resources from yeah, very like reputable places such as Harvard <laughs> and Stanford that that put out free curriculums and video curriculums that's pretty great yeah it's awesome and like there's a lot of like boot camps coding boot camps around and having looked into them it looks like most of them sort of just skip over like the fundamentals of how computers actually work which <laughs> i i get the idea is they're just trying to like punt like throw people into jobs and get them jobs which yeah, if you want to just write code like HTML and PHP and stuff, you don't, I guess, necessarily need to know that. But I feel like it's really beneficial to know it still. I agree. My, I, I was, I had a computer science degree going for a couple of years, and mine started actually when I was PSEO, post secondary education options in high school, where they send you to college instead of going to high school, which was fun. Um, nice. When uh, when the first comp sci class I took, we spent the first two weeks uh, first building Turing machines on paper, and then with like rubber bands, 
and actually like understanding the very basics of logic ladders and um <laughs> yeah that was actually you know just like getting down to the very simple binary level of understanding it's the same with design i felt like um the fact that i'm old enough that when i first started wax boards were still a thing and quark was just a, a fancy way of doing wax boards the 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 vocabulary has shifted away from that to a point where people don't they have no relationship to the older physical way of design um which is fine like it's a new era and there are new possibilities but i feel in my career it really helped me to know where what i was doing in digital applications came from right and yeah. knowing knowing when you're writing code <laughs> how code began yeah nice all right so my second pick is a light bulb there have been mm. a few light bulb picks on systematic over the years and uh like the earliest i think marco was the first person to pick marco arment picked uh a 5000k led bulb and i bought several of them because they are awesome um but led light bulbs have come down in price to a point where i replaced like every bulb in the house with led bulbs except for sometimes uh the the standard led bulb is just too white and i mm. i really miss it's like when cfl bulbs became the norm and everyone you know energy savings with these compact fluorescents and everything turned white and cold and sterile and i hated it um so i would get like filters for them over uh lampshades and things um now uh i i'm picking the hyper icon or hypericon h h y p e r i k o n uh the a19 led vintage filament bulb which is a dimmable bulb it's seven watts a 60 watt equivalent 720 lumen and you can get it at 3000k or 2300k so 3000 would be a soft white and 2300 is just a straight up like old school yellow which in certain environments that's what i want it's nice and warm great for bedrooms great for even like uh uh, family room kind of applications where you want a warmer light while you're watching a movie and it's dimmed down. Yeah. So I just bought, I had six of them. I just bought 15 more of them. I, I, it kind of deserves to be a top pick cause I'm very happy with them. Very cool. Have you, have you used any of those automated, like the nest bulbs or any of that stuff? I am old school. I use Insteon and X10 bulbs everywhere. Um, and X10 switches, not, not X10. I don't buy X10 anymore, but my whole setup has X10 incorporated. So Insteon switches, light switches, and uh, wall plugs. So yeah, I've used that stuff, but I haven't gotten into like Hue bulbs, Nest bulbs, things that are more directly Wi-Fi controllable. Everything runs for me through a Mac mini server. Okay, gotcha. I do love automation, though. <laughs> I'll automate anything. And now that my watch can... I use Homebridge, which is a hack that lets my automation program talk to HomeKit so that I can control it all with Siri. 
and uh-huh. I can give like scenes, whatever name I want to. And then I can just say to my watch, Hey Siri, it's time to watch a movie. And she'll set up all the scenes the way that way I like them. <laughs> and yeah, that's pretty Very awesome. Nice. Anyway. <laughs> all right. What's your third? Uh, let's see. Um, I'm going to go with the movie, the big short, um, which I just saw recently. It's on Netflix. Have you seen it? I have. Okay. Yeah, it was. So I, when I was just getting out of high school, when the whole, uh, housing market financial meltdown happened, um, and I wasn't really paying that close of attention to it. Um, and so I, I really had no idea why it was happening. And I, my, my family was never like super into investing or anything. And so I didn't have like, I, 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 it was just sort of magic to me that, Oh, everyone's losing their jobs and stuff. Um, and so just watching that movie and getting to understand like how much awful stuff Mm -hmm. was going on (laughs) was just mind boggling. And it's really entertaining as well. It is. And, Um, and it was a, uh, a, really nice expose you know based on pretty pretty substantial facts Mm -hmm. an expose but done in a way that's actually really fun to watch as a movie yeah yeah i would i would agree i feel i've it's all a blur to me but i feel like someone picked this movie recently i think i might be thinking (laughs) of whiplash which maybe i would have expected you to pick (laughs) yeah i i remember hearing that pick and (laughs) I actually just watched that. Well, no, that was a while ago now. But yeah, that was a good one. Although yeah. I, I, I had mixed feelings about the ending. Um, I, I don't want to remember how it s- ended. Um, I suppose if you're not going to spoil it, you probably shouldn't remind me. But <laughs> yeah, maybe when we're done. <laughs> but I, I was, I was not, I was not happy with the ending. I don't think. I, I, I mixed feelings at the very least. But as, yeah, as it is with much of my life. I do not remember important details like plotline and how a movie ends. I remember an insane number of dialogue, uh, like an insane number of lines. And I remember whether or not I liked it. And at least after one viewing, I usually have to watch movie a few times, which only happens if I really, really like it. Um, (laughs) I, I, yeah, like, um, geez, you know, I've seen Deadpool probably four times now and Hmm. i probably still could not tell you enough about how it ends to make any sense (laughs) i haven't seen that one yet but it's so good (laughs) yeah i I never got into sort of the fox marvel (laughs) side of things um and and the beauty of this one is you don't need to yeah that's what i've heard but also the the trailers just made it look like not the kind of movie I would enjoy, but then a lot of people whose taste in movies I trust enjoyed it. So I feel like maybe I should just, I have excellent taste in movies. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well then, which is, which may be contradicted by the fact that my two favorite movies last year were, um, Mad Max Fury Mm. Road and Deadpool. Which are neither of my like typical genre these days for picking a favorite movie, but those two were, in my opinion, like genre defying movies. 
Yeah, definitely Mad Max in a lot of ways. I mean, um, it's a movie with uh, nonstop action. It's like two hours of adrenaline-fueled explosions, <laughs> but so much attention to detail, all real, uh, real stunts, real effects, a decent plot line, and then just a lot of uh, perfect references to the original kitsch of the first Mad Max and storyline was intriguing to me obviously without all the explosions it would have been it would have kind of fallen flat yeah but man i i really enjoyed that movie three times now i bought yeah. it that and deadpool are the only movies i bought from the year i saw a lot of good movies but i did okay so anyway yeah i did enjoy the big short i have absolutely no qualms with the big short <laughs> Um, did you get, happen to get the shiny and chrome edition of? No. Oh, oh. I was going to say of the big short. That would be the no. Mad Max. <laughs> no. I, bought yeah, the, Mad I Max. bought the iTunes iTunes version with all of the extras, but I don't remember any reference to a shiny and chrome version. Okay. Yeah, this is I, fairly recently. Um, they've released a a black and white version of it, which at first I was like, why would they do it's like the colors are that so is pretty. also my first reaction. <laughs> but but then like some of the footage it just looks very cool. So I'd recommend looking into that at least. But then that might um tempt you to spend money. So maybe I eh. should <laughs> eh. I, I am horrible at budgeting. I prefer to <laughs> I prefer to own, eat and see things that I like rather than actually have any money in the bank. So <laughs> That works out. Fair. Cool. Well, my last pick is uh, as a TV show, so kind of in the same vein. Um, <laughs> I just started. It's a show that ended in 2010. I am way behind the times. But I got around to starting The Dollhouse. Or just Dollhouse, not The Dollhouse. Dollhouse. Ooh. It's a TV show, and it's kind of sci-fi kind of uh blacklist conspiracy kind of quantum leapish it, it they it's a uh, uh joss whedon right yeah exactly um it, it's like a a group i don't even know what to call this there's this this uh headquarters where these people have their personalities erased and then they're able to imprint any personality on them use them to fulfill a purpose and then erase them again and they just have this like stock of dolls actives and every episode kind of um you know in a quantum leap fashion like turns the main characters into someone else puts them out there but there are major overarching storylines these these plot arcs that are intriguing enough that it's not just a serial show. Mm. Um, I am only, I think I'm on season one, episode seven at this point, and I, I'm hooked. It's it's what I want to watch every night right now. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I've, I heard friends that were very into that show. Um, and, of course, as most of Joss Whedon's shows, it got canceled. <laughs> I think it, it lasted two seasons, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> I think Fox was like, eh, maybe we should give him one more season just so fans don't kill us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, but, what's he? Agents of Shield. He did. Oh, he's only written a, one episode of that. 
I, he was involved in like yeah the very first season and then was like okay take care of it guys all right so i'm doing a search what all has he created uh he did buffy the vampire slayer triple x a parody did he porn what <laughs> I, th- yeah oh um, wait they credited him credited him as a writer because it was based on characters created by him okay let's uh w- we'll forget that one uh um firefly is the, the oh, big oh, firefly one. was so good yeah that was upsetting <laughs> um mm-hmm. the cancellation angel meh buffy buffy that did pretty well yeah yeah buffy was did well um, did, that, did buffy get canceled or did it just no end? It, it 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 lasted like it for whole... 144 episodes <laughs> yeah um mostly i guess i was just referring to firefly <laughs> yeah um and like i feel like there was another thing he did maybe i'm just getting people confused though um he did oh no these are all based on i just found muffy the vampire slayer i feel like there may be a bizarre number of porn parodies of joss whedon productions uh, hmm. that doesn't surprise me <laughs> Let's see, director credits, uh, Avengers, Age of Ultron. And the first Uh, Avengers. Yeah. Angel and Buffy keep coming up. He, oh, two episodes of The Office. That's intriguing. Did not know that. Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. That was actually a very fun show. He did three episodes of that. Yeah. But as far as creation, yeah. No, he has like single and double episode credits on some larger series but oh he he did he directed serenity i guess that makes sense but yeah um funny story he was actually just in uh the town i live in bellingham because he met some singer from here um who's now doing pretty well for herself and they did a show together in bellingham where he sang um I was yeah I didn't I didn't go to it but I had a lot of friends who got pictures with him. Huh. Yeah, cuz he actually wrote the like the Firefly theme song, did you know that? I didn't know that. I suppose yeah. you would know that. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a a special feature on the Firefly DVD um with, like the original recording of him singing it and um it's not great but <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not uh outstanding. <laughs> but it, it's fun sure yeah all right so that brings us to the end it does you can be found on twitter at john bash there's no h in john j-o-n-b-a-s-h yes man we didn't even talk about z shell <laughs> so yeah and then you also you blog at skeptical-spirit.net correct and johnbash.com mm-hmm. and yeah. is there anywhere else you want to point people to in the show notes uh, that's probably good I feel <laughs> that's right. where most of my stuff is you can find all my music from my my website with my name so that'll point you to anywhere else you can find me I like people who have central repositories and I am uh, Scoff on all of your favorite social media outlets. And I am at brettterpstra.com. And I'm also 
I have a show called Systematic. It's it's on iTunes, and if you listen to it, you should go leave a review. Do something witty, something clever, with five stars, of course, but speak your mind. I like the minds of my listeners. They're all pretty, mm, we'll say creative. <laughs> creative, which can, which can be a whole, like so many subcategories. I like deviant, but uh, I, I, I will accept any category of creative. Um, so, John, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. This has been fun. Um, that's episode, we'll say, 182. I'm, I'm like, not sure about anything at this point. <laughs> we'll say 182, and uh, we'll see everybody in a week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.